like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. All right, Chicago, good evening. Damn it, we feel so blessed to be back in Chicago. Obviously, a lot of family and friends in the audience tonight. And, uh, and uh, family that became friends, friends that became family. Uh, Some of you people in the front row, I see more than my family at this point, so uh, I guess you qualify. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and it's this time of year again it's december and we get to be in this position to get a little bit of nostalgia brought back into us on what we had just witnessed on this past tour this year we love kind of looking back last year we did it and we did one show from every leg of the tour and since we don't have legs this year And we just had the one little run of eight, what was supposed to be nine shows. We thought that the last two shows of the year would be a double dose of whatever made the most sense out of the four venues. And once that first Chicago show, which we're going to talk about today in full detail, once that finished, it was pretty inevitable that these were going to be the shows that we were going to talk about. For one, being there does help the cause also this show immediately again like i said you knew the minute that the show ended that you just saw an instant classic that you sat there and you went wow this is what pearl jam does best and pearl jam can still do it like this it's tough to sit there 
and just point at shows sometimes and say, right after it happened, that's an Insta Classic. That's an Insta Classic. Because you do need a little bit of time to just think about it and just kind of process what happened. And some shows do feel a little less timely than others, where some shows can feel like they're stuck in a certain era. If something like George Bush is brought up a lot or, you know, something around that kind of aspect. And then you get a show like this that feels like it's a classic for any time in Pearl Jam. That Pearl Jam did this in 2023, but a show like this could have happened any time in the last 15 years. And it would have made so much sense and it still would have been the same classic that it was this year. So we're going to kind of explain how all that in our eyes comes off that way and why it was so good. So look, got a lot of stories to tell. I'm not going to waste any more time. I think you got enough tea up there. Randy Sobel is over here. John Farrar is over there. Hello, hello. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, kind of the tradition that we've started doing the best of that year at the end of the year here. And when I came on the podcast in 2019, it was like, we didn't have shows. We didn't have that. And then 2020, we didn't have shows. 2021, there was just a little handful. And I remember we talked about it like, oh, it's too soon. We need some distance from these. But last year, with it being the legs of the tour, we had the West Coast, European leg, East Coast leg. It's like, let's do it. Let's have this be kind of a celebration of the year and pick the best of. Last year, we ended up doing Fresno, Frankfurt, and St. Louis, all great in their own right. But this year, with it being all the two-night stays, it was easy to pick these. I think you might have even pushed back a little bit, like, oh, I don't know. We might need to some distance, but it was always going to be Chicago. Yeah, I think I wanted to put it out to the fans and let them decide, and then it was just kind of like, well, yeah, they're we going to want this anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we know you guys longer? at this point, yeah. Yeah, look, no disrespect to either the Texas cities or St. Paul, but Chicago is Chicago for a reason. They come here because they know, A, they're going to get the travelers easily. There's so many people in Chicago, and it's a destination spot. You package it in the middle of the Cubs being at Wrigley Field, and everybody has something to do on these couple of days that they're in town and then the obvious it's a hometown show and back at the united center too yeah back at the united center that was the tipping point for me to want to go to these shows because if like you're hearing the rumors now and there are rumors of wrigley there's rumors of fenway for 2024 and i keep thinking to myself i'm just like first of all i want other ballparks second of all i'm just like i'm tired of the same venues I want to go and have more experiences and different experiences in different kind of venues. And I had been to the United Center before, but not my second show. So I wanted to experience more of what the intimacy of a Chicago show had again. Because, yeah, I was at one of the Wrigley shows in the 2013 one and got to experience all that went through that. But... I wanted to get the full hands-on experience of what it's like in the same building that Jordan won six titles, that the Blackhawks won three titles, and that Chelios did all the things that Chelios would do that we'll talk about on next week's show of how that all kind of came to be. So, 
yeah, that was what was important for me. I, I, I think the stories in and of itself always kind of draw you in. Those are my favorite kind of Pearl Jam shows where Ed has a destination to take you on. And it's so obvious when he goes to a, a place like that, that he knows. And in this case, for what happens at this show and before this show, like there's a lot going on. He's visiting places. He's got his aunt's funeral that he's attending. And there are things to talk about. There are things happening in his life that he feels necessary to share with the crowd. And it feels like when he lets you into moments like that, and in that kind of show, you can kind of anticipate him telling all of these sort of stories. You don't know what those stories are going to be, but you know there are going to be stories. That's what entices me to get to these kind of places, because I just want, in total, sometimes the songs are awesome. The types of songs are awesome, rare, common, doesn't matter. The performances are awesome, but I want the full on experience. I want to be entertained. I want to be told a story and I want to just bask in whatever is on Eddie's mind because for the lack of better terms, he's just the best at what he does in that facet. So that's what drew me to the show. Yeah. I mean, the 12 shows that I've been to, there's only been one set of shows that was the destination and it was Wrigley Field in 2016. The rest of them have all kind of been around the Southeast, but that was one that I knew like, yeah, you got to make the trip. It's got to be the destination. You got to go experience it at least once. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, Seattle's probably on that list for 2024 and I would love to go to Seattle too. And I I think it just kind of becomes a thing. Like you're not just seeing Pearl Jam, but you want to see friends you want to travel the country to places you've never been to before and just have that experience, the life experience. And to intertwine all that with Pearl Jam is just sort of icing on the cake at this point. So, yeah, that all instantly led me to wanting to go to Chicago. I knew that in Chicago you were going to get tons of people, tons of friends. I didn't have to think twice about asking Aaron and Javier and Amy and all of my friends that are in group text together that we have been planning things and and doing stuff and wanting to do stuff. And especially after not being able to go to Seattle last year, I definitely wanted to have an opportunity to spend a lot of time with all of them. And I throw in Lori there too, of course. I didn't mean to leave Lori out. But yeah, it was an easy decision. And then obviously Fort Worth was another thing. So it's so weird sometimes because it feels like life kind of knows that I'm doing this, that I'm leaving my family for a couple of days and I'm kind of putting some stress on them. And especially my wife who now has to, in this case on these days, had to deal with my two year old by herself because, and it wasn't really supposed to be by herself. It was that, we had hired a babysitter to do half days with him. And then literally, you know, I got off the plane and then got onto a subway and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm in the clear because there were things that happened in 2022 that made me feel guilty about leaving that just happened. So I was kind of like, okay, we're in the clear. I think everybody kind of knows the ordeal now. Okay. And then I get a text and the babysitter canceled. So I'm just like, fuck. 
I was really so guilty in that moment that I was so close to saying, I'll just come home. I never want to do that. But at that point, I felt like because of all that has happened and all the shows that I've attended since Ben has been born, that I have put them through a lot. And then I just didn't want to see that strain on them again. So I was ready to just say, I'm coming back. It tore me. It tore me a whole lot. Like, obviously, there were so many things that were planned from the Wrigley game to karaoke and the tribute for Sean Sullivan's family. And I did not want to leave all that, especially because I was literally touching ground in the city. But I guess magic kind of happened. And I was sort of racking my brain to think, okay, what are some alternatives for this? And a friend, I feel like back when we were living in Connecticut, oh, all of a week or so ago, that, you know, we didn't have too, too many close friends that we could rely on for things like that. But there was a family that we were starting to get a little bit closer with that Ben was really good friends with their daughter. And I just didn't like think about them for help until I got a text from her that was supposed to be to like her father-in-law or something like that. And it was obviously the girl's mom that, that Ben plays with. And she was just like, oh, I'm so sorry that I thought that moment. I'm like, well, just ask her if she knows a babysitter. And my wife, the big thing was that she was really disappointed because the night of this show, night one, she went and saw Noah Khan. I don't know if you know who Noah Khan is right now. He's insanely popular right now. He's kind of like Americana folk backwoods kind of, but he's just insanely popular. Got popular off of TikTok. Do I understand it all? No, but he went from playing a smaller sized amphitheater in Bridgeport, Connecticut to now like selling out the garden kind of places. Yeah, so, yeah. and like selling out with $350 kind of tickets. So that's the kind of artist he's turned into. So she had these tickets GA and she didn't want to pass up on them. So thankfully her name is Amanda. And I'm just like, Hey, do you know babysitter? She's like, no, they're all in high school. And I'm like, do you know anybody that can come by Tuesday night that can take care of him for like three or four hours while the show's happening? She's like, yeah, I, I can come and do that. We're like, Oh, how much you need us? Pay? She's like, you don't have to pay us anything. We will come and we'll spend time. We'll put him to bed. And I'm just like, Freaking guardian angel just came across this and just lightened all of the load. And yeah, sometimes you just don't know how far you can depend on people. And I'm not the kind of person that's just like looking for people to depend on. So this just kind of came out of the blue and it all just seemed to work out. So yeah, that was a huge weight lifted off our backs. And then it ended up that the babysitter that kind of canceled on us for the week was able to do some days. So it did kind of lift a little bit of the burden from my wife as well. So just really happy that it worked out easier than it could have in that disaster situation. So it was a very stressful trip and it took me a while to get out of my hotel room. I didn't know if I wanted to leave that night, but I ended up going out and I went out, hung out with the Scots. There's a lot of people that hung out that night. John Hamilton came by. Ned. Ned's one of my best tour buddies. And yeah, Ned's a great dude. I hope he's listening. 
Alex Hoggard coming in from England and all this again, Marty and the Scots and everybody else that, that came in and we all just hung out at this dive bar kind of underground kind of thing. And it was just a lot of fun. But I think the thing that I want to tell here is that there's a story about the bathroom in this place. Now I can't remember what this place is called and somebody will stand up right now and say, Oh, it's this. And I'll get a text from Kevin O'Rourke or somebody like that. That will tell me where we were. And I go into this bathroom and, you know, drinking, you know, drinking, having fun that night. So think about what happens to you when you're drinking. You're of sound mind, but are things really real kind of thing? So here's where I'm getting at. So I go and the bathroom is really, really sketchy. The lights are barely on. It feels like somebody could have been shooting up in there, doing cracks, something like that. And it was a little scary, but nobody else was in there. So I go to the urinal, do the thing, and I turn around and I go to wash my hands and I kind of look up and I see people like the fuck people why are what's going on here people in the bathroom there's a mirror that's like a one-way mirror where you can see into the bar everybody hanging out and talking and drinking and all that and there's a trough that's right there by that window so you can literally watch them while you go and thankfully they can't see you inside but it's a trip to when Oh, you know, no, that's that's too weird. I don't like that. Too weird. Uh, yeah, especially when it just sneaks up on you like that. And, you know, I, I got out. I felt a little shell-shocked. And then I went back to my table and, you know, where, where we were hanging out. And I, I told Ned, I think I, was, I said to him, like, have you used the bathroom yet? He's like, oh, God, yeah. Oh, it's nightmare fuel. And then Marty was like, all right, let me check this out. And he comes back. He's like... I, I I will never go back in there again. It was, yeah, it was a literal nightmare. Holy moly. I wish I can give you guys the name of this bar so that anytime you're in Chicago, you can avoid it. Streeter's Tavern. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Streeter's. Yeah. So that story's out of the way. Get to the next day. Get up early. Go to the venue. Merch. Y'all know the merch thing. And you get to talking to all these people. I wish I can shout out every single person that I met from this weekend. It would be so much easier. And I got to like what I thought was the back of the line at one point, because I started talking to some people that we had actually talked to from the St. Paul show when we did the after show that they were kind of involved with the, the show a little bit. So I got to talking to them. And then I noticed that, well, the line's not moving at all. What's going on? You know, how come nobody's lined up uh, behind us? And I ask them, like, you guys in line? They're like, oh, no, we're just hanging out. Shit. Okay. So I go and walk. I take a turn. I take another turn. I take another turn. And thankfully, I'm bumping into a handful of people that I know. And then uh, I see Ryan Morton. And he's by himself, so I'm figuring, like, okay, I got, I got Ryan. I'm going to sit with Ryan, hang out with Ryan for a little bit. So we, we hung out, and we were in the shade, and it was nice, and there weren't a whole lot of people around. And 
again, people bumping in and it was actually for as hot as it was that day, it wasn't a terrible wait. Then there was a whole merch truck situation where, I don't know, the truck register wasn't working or something like that. So they had split the lines where some people that were up to the truck were kind of stuck in line, but we kind of moseyed our way over to the inside merch and kind of waited in the inside, which was great because that was all air conditioning and everything like that. And that's where I bumped into Jason Brown, who is like the savior of this whole entire trip for me. Because Jason, I mean, I don't know what I did to deserve his kindness. And a lot of other people say this about him. Just throw this out there. And he's probably laughing to himself right now. Like, "Ah, I did nothing. I did nothing. And I had some shit tickets for both nights. And unfortunately for... The first night, Joey was supposed to come by and be my ticket buddy, but he couldn't make it due to some school obligations and things like that. So I was kind of stuck by myself in like section 309, row 16 or whatever. And I really just wanted anywhere else in the building. I didn't care if I made the money back for the other tickets. I knew I wasn't going to just get me anywhere else in the building. And, and Jason's like, all right, I got something I could hook you up. And he got me together with his buddy, Jim. It was great. And I'm always skeptical on if I'm sitting with somebody that I don't know, that I don't know how is going to react to the Pearl Gyms. Because I sat next to people, like I sat next to a friend's dad one time. I barely like blinked an eye and showed no emotion. I'm just like, I feel really uncomfortable. I sat next to like another just friend of friend kind of thing. And I just said to Jason, like, is he going to be really into this? Is he going to be cool? Is he going to get really excited? He's like, oh yeah, you'll have no problem with that. So Jim was a great seat buddy. We had a great time. We were down in like section 114, 116. Can't really remember the sections, kind of like back corner, but in the 100 sections, really good seats. So the whole entire time, just on the merch line, making friends and just enjoying life and, you know, buying everything up at the merch stand. And then we end up meeting and it ends up being like a big group of us that all meet at this restaurant. Again, I'm not remembering restaurant names, but it was across the street from my hotel. I stayed at hotel Chicago and a lot of people were there pre-gaming and stuff. And they had such a short staff on the wait staff that like there was only one woman that was waiting tables outside and there must have been like at least 30 tables and ours had at least 15 people there. So friends of friends and then friends and then people that is like just texting me out of the blue, like, what are you doing? And there's more people gathering and gathering, gathering. And I just want to kind of throw this out there because a long time ago we had a guest on this show that was really our first major thing that happened. It was our first guest that wasn't part of the Pearl Jam universe, but was a huge Pearl Jam fan that wasn't a friend and was somebody that put us on the map a little bit when talking to because of some of the things that were happening at the time. And that happened to be, he's no longer in WWE, but he's in AEW now. But if you remember Edge from WWE, he goes by his real name now, Adam Copeland. He was somebody that we got to interview at that time. And I had kind of kept 
relationship with him and, and kept talking to him throughout some of the years. So like maybe two weeks before the shows, I say to him, I'm like, Hey, are you going out? Cause he went to Camden last year and I had no idea. And I'm like, shit, sorry. I missed you, man. That, that's, that really sucks. So I wanted to make sure that if we had a chance to, to meet that, that we should. And two and a half weeks before the show, he's like, ah, I don't know if I can, I really want to, obviously, but yeah, we just got to see what's going on at home and all that. About a week later, he's like, all right, I got my Chicago ticket. Like, shit, hell yeah. All right, awesome. Let's hang out. And I grew up a wrestling fan. I grew up a fan of his. And like now he's coming to a bar and he's going to hang out with all my friends and become like friends with all of us. And... I didn't want to make a big deal of it because it's just, it's just a normal dude. Like I didn't want to be like, he was a WWE champion. Like who cares? Who cares? So people kind of saw him. They saw his stature that I was hanging out with and they were just like, Hey, okay. What's up with him? He was wearing like an Andre, the giant tank top. And you know, people stopped and they said hello and they wanted to get pictures. And I think it was Brian's wife, Karina, who just kind of kept looking at me eyes like, what's, what's up? Like, who is he? So I kind of took her aside and I whispered in her ear like, oh, he's a famous wrestler. And she's like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I didn't introduce him as a, like, is my friend Adam and all that. And just kind of made it casual and all that. But it was just kind of funny because so many people would come up to us and while we were having a conversation and, and wanting to get pictures and wanting to talk to him and all that. And at one point, somebody actually like recognizes me and starts talking to me instead of talking to him. And then asks me, is like, is it okay if I get a picture with him? I'm like, I'm not his handler, man. You do whatever you want. He's like, he's such a nice guy. He's so gracious about it. He's like, absolutely. He took a picture with everybody and it's just awesome. Just really awesome guy to be around. And anybody that's been following this show and kind of knows that we did that interview and all that, I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, I, I had posted pictures and things like that. And people are like, whoa, is that, is that him? Is that him? And like, I didn't want to, again, make it a big deal because I don't see him in that like fame sort of way. I see him as a friend, but I was excited that I got to meet him and become his friend. And again, I'm not talking to him every other day sort of thing, but we talked afterwards. We're like, we definitely have to do a show again soon. So hopefully this year, this coming year, we can get together and just create some more fun memories and, and all that. So I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody that had seen rumors or anything. So yeah, just normal shit, just friends hanging out. So yeah, from there, get into the building found out that the clear bag that you can only bring into the arena, apparently I couldn't bring in that clear bag, so I had to go throw it in a trailer somewhere, then went up and hung out with people and just gather together and drink and eat and just enjoy the show. I saw zero seconds of inhaler. That's fine. Did not go there anticipating to see them at all. So, But again, I think it was just great to be at a show where so many friends can just kind of gather together and hang out. And, you know, you see people with shirts and, you know, I saw people with touring fan shirts and saw a lot of random people with live on four legs and the tour shirt that we, that we made. 
and just kind of funny to bump into those people and be like, hey, do I know you? It's like, yeah, kind of. Oh, uh, okay, cool. But yeah, my shirt, that's awesome. So it's cool. Like that stuff is still pretty new to me and still not like kicking in that that's real just yet. But that's look, it's exciting no matter when it happens. So, well, I think we can get into the show now. I don't think I have any more stories. I'm sure that somebody's listening like Aaron or Jason and like, Hey, you forgot to talk about, talk about this, but maybe that's something we could talk about at the party tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, we'll talk about that later. But I think now is a good moment to get into the songs. So tis Chicago tis Ed's hometown tis more times than not going to start with release. start talking and you're like hey what do you think is gonna open tonight everybody throws in their guesses i don't think we even had that conversation that night because i think it was just so inevitable that this was gonna happen i had a pipe stream that i wanted to see one of these shows open with present tense and thought that it would be really cool if they opened night one with present tense didn't come to be but we ended up getting it but this had to happen there were certain inevitabilities when the shows were announced. I think everyone pointed to this as like, oh, you're going to get released. Knowing what we know now that there was a different opener for all the shows, it makes sense that this was the release night. It's just so cool because here, when Ed kind of kicks into the song, he starts off by saying, I see the waves. And I think that right away, he walks out on stage and I think he's like referencing the crowd right away. Like, I see the waves of people I have to think that he's definitely 
already feeling in his element the minute that he steps on. He was just having fun with it and knew that this is my home. I can do whatever I want. And this crowd is going to eat it up and we're going to have ourselves a damn good night together. I think there's a little bit of foreshadowing, too, and a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on in his head because he tells the story later on about his aunt. And here he does Dear Mom, so you know he's thinking about that side of his family in this version. But just a stellar performance here. Everything you would want from release in Chicago. Big crowd surge at the end, too. There's no other way to start this show. The change to Oh Dear Mom, and I think that most of the times where they've been to Chicago, he's kind of changed it. And I think he's changed it for Oh Dear John, for the doctor, John Evans. And he's also done Oh Dear John, I think, for his uncle as well when they went to Wrigley for the first time. And I think that's kind of a nod to him bringing him to Wrigley as a child for the first time, too. So, yeah, that's going to be emotional every single time. Something's going to go through his head in that moment. And I don't think he ever said if his mom was in attendance, but I feel like I had heard, ran into people that said that they saw that she was there or heard that she was there. So, I mean, that would surprise nobody at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Low Light Following Up was awesome. I love the combo. I think I've gotten the combo before, but I really enjoyed it this show because it felt like after release, like all that power's in the air. And obviously when you're listening to it, you're thinking back to all the other times you saw release, especially like the first time you saw it and how important it was because that's like the religious experience that brings it all together. So obviously anytime I hear it, that's what goes through my head. You shed a few tears and you realize here I am at the show and this is where I've wanted to be for so long. And then when Low Light comes in, it's a fun version of Low Light. It's upbeat. It feels like it's got more of a progressive drum beat on it. It feels like it's a little more full instead of kind of taking its time to like plot and pace a little bit. It feels like it's got some oomph and energy behind it. And obviously we get to see a version of this that would absolutely blow the floodgates open when Ed does the holding out the last line. But, I mean, at this point, I thought, oh, this was the longest he'd ever hold it at this point. He really pushed this. And, again, Low Light, consider another sneaky good Chicago song. They played it at Wrigley when the sun was going down. They played it at Wrigley to open in 2016. This could be considered one of those, like, tier two Chicago kind of songs. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm with you. The combo of release and low light, like it doesn't get much better than that. All right. Ed addresses everybody, says, good evening, Chicago. Damn it. We feel so blessed to be back in Chicago. A lot of family and friends in the audience tonight. Family that became friends. Friends that became family. Some of you in the front row, I see more than my family at this point. So I guess you guys qualify. I just want to let you know it's been a while last time we played this venue was 10 15 years ago and we'll get back to the outside one of these days but i'm feeling pretty good that we're inside tonight he's kind of going off he's saying grateful to be in from the heat on the september 5th 2023 the year of our lord and when i say lord and 23 that close together i think of one person and that's michael jordan and kind of spurts out black jesus So, a big job to add to the history of this building, but with your help, it might be possible. 
Speaking of friends, this is for Carrie, Sarah, and you if you want it, getting into Just Breathe. And I'll package that with Retrograde because this is a solo Ed version of Just Breathe. It does not have the bass. It's very disappointing, but we can take at least another second on it to talk about it because weirdly, Just Breathe was next to nowhere to be found in 2022. He had to wait until the last show in Denver before they brought it out at all. So, I don't know. I always feel like it's weird at these times. Like, I get if you want to play it to open up an encore and play it solo, that's cool. But, like, to have the band leave the stage and then do it always feels a little weird to me. This makes no sense. Why would you have the band leave at the beginning of the set, like you're you're just seated still. We're still in the seated part of the show. Why is the band leaving at the third song to leave him to do the solo, and then they're gonna come back? Like, yeah, makes no sense to me. They know how to play it. Just have them play it. Yeah, this is uh, oh, did did not like. It. Yeah, omission. We can move on. And when I talk about a certain song later. I'll kind of throw back to Just Breathe, and you'll know why, but I'll, I'll throw back to it. Retrograde is going to be the kick down the chair song, and it was one of the Gigaton songs I was very excited. It left a huge impact on me and a lot of other people, and I'm going to add you into that as well in 2022. Yeah, Not just one of their best Gigaton songs, but one of their best songs from the whole entire tour that whole year. And I was just very excited that I got to see it again. I don't think they played it a whole lot, probably here and then in Austin as well. But while I love this version, I thought that it had such a beautiful tone to it. There's a warmth to the song I really love. And once they kind of flip it upside on its head, like it creates some madness. And then Mike and Matt really play off each other so well. Mike, as we're going to get to with Javier in a second, he's going to talk about a little bit of the guitar work that Mike doesn't hear. Well, it sounded a little bit like a radio transmission. I'm sure Javier can describe that a little better. But before we get into Javier to talk about that stuff, what did you think about this one? Oh, absolutely love it. I mean, this is one of the highlights for me. Maybe my favorite song off of Gigaton and probably the best Gigaton live song. I think I love where it comes out. This part's about you. And it gives it to that crowd. To just, it's all about that moment when the band comes in. It just thunders in completely. I mean, I was going to ask you, like, being in the building, we talked about it, and I think St. Louis, that version was unbelievable. How did this compare, like, what, being in that building for that big part where Mike just throws the gauntlet down and the band just tears it apart? Like, was it as electric in that building as it seemed? Well, I'm glad you asked. And here's how we're going to spin this. Let's talk to Javier first. Because I don't want to lose the point with Javier. And then we're going to come back. And then we're going to talk about that. So I'll leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger. So here's Javier. And then we'll get back to this.
Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone on the podcast. So we're covering Chicago number one. And there's a lot of pretty cool stuff to mention. Okay, so back in April, when I had the opportunity to go check the Rockfords live over Record Store Day in Seattle, I really pay attention to what Mike was using on his side of the board, even though that it's just a little smaller board compared to what he uses live with Pearl Jam. There was a new thing that it was kind of like unique for me. So in the 70s, Mutron, this brand, created a pedal. This was supposed to be like a new take on wah pedal. So you have an envelope filter and a sweep filter combined in both flangers that you can trigger at the same time. So this pedal got a very, very, very famous because it was used in the song Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. Anyways, this pedal was discontinued. Unfortunately, now it's very sought after and it created a plethora of like, like different kind of sounds or stuff like that. And it's just very, very unique. Then in like late 70s, getting into the 80s, the brand Veringer created something called the Biface Dual Face Shifter Pedal, which is based on the Mutron 3 that I was mentioning before, which is a very authentic recreation of the pedal. Again, envelope and sweep filter. So just do so you have two flangers or two filters going up at once. So Mike started to use this with the Rockfords, but apparently he liked it so much that he moved it to the board that he's using with Pearl Jam Live right now. So this is what you can hear at the end of Retrograde. I wanted to give you a little bit of history before this because it's something that is not very well known for guitar players because, as I was saying before, it was used on higher ground over a piano. It was very well known to be a piano pedal, but some players started to use it around pedals and they started to notice that they were getting like really, really distinctive sounds for this. So it has two sweep generators, so it produced face ship tones that it goes from a subtle drift to a wild intense modulation it's pretty cool to hear i think you have to be very well crafted when you use this kind of thing because whenever you don't find the sweet spot to it it really gets very ruined so that kind of like is stuff that you hear at the end of retrograde this is why you listen to and this is new it has not been used in a live board in the past so I thought that we should mention that. So, yeah, that's how we're going to kick it off this week for Chicago Night One. All right. Thank you so much, Hobbs. And now we got business to attend to, John, because you had asked a question. I did. Now, I fucking loved it. I was having the time of my life. I was playing eardrums and I was going off. I was having so much fun. I also for the first couple songs was wearing not earplugs, but some ear protection stuff. So it did feel like halfway through, I I took out the earplugs. So it kind of felt a little muted for me for a little bit, but it didn't take me out of the song. However, what I want to say is that I didn't necessarily think with this song and then whoever said following, I didn't think the Chicago crowd was fully fully on board for these like they liked them they liked them but i think to get into like the big stuff and to really feel like they're at a show i'm not sure how much this crowd wanted to hear gigaton even though i think they appreciated it you hear a lot during whoever said and beforehand ed saying like come on come on come on and he's trying to push them a little bit And I wonder if he kind of felt 
that the Gigaton songs didn't really leave their mark as much as they did the year before. Because really, like Corduroy, everything comes unglued. And the show takes off into the stratosphere from there. And I, I don't know. Sometimes it's weird because you can say that from the position that you were in, that's how you felt. And somebody that might have been in GA could have been like, whoa, the crowd was awesome on it. And it might be true. But I kind of sensed from my section that a lot of heads were just staring, maybe looking down at a phone, you know, maybe not fully invested in that moment as much as I was, as much as Jim was, as much as some of the other people that I was kind of peeking at around the arena. I'll give you a different take on it. I don't think that's Retrograde's fault. I think that's just Breed's fault. I think that kills the momentum early on that you build up with a release in low light to have Ed come out and do the solo song, and then you try to get everybody back for Retrograde, and everybody's still kind of like, okay, what is this? I don't think that's Retrograde's fault. That's just Breathe killing the momentum of this set. I don't disagree with you, but I think that piece at the end of retrograde should be so powerful to bring everybody yeah, back. Yeah, it, it should. But MSG last year, they played dance and seven o'clock and the whole crowd was on their feet the whole entire show. But once they kick into seven o'clock, everybody left to get beer. Every single person, not one person like, Hey, want to experience this, hear what the new songs are like. Everybody just booked it. Might just be a facet of, playing new songs to a big crowd might just end up like that. But performance wise, they're both very good retrograde and whoever said, but I think that the crowd wanted Corduroy essentially. So yeah, Ed gets into whoever said by saying, let's start cooking with some gas. You guys ready? Come on. And you know, the weirdest stat that I can say that I have right now is that I've seen whoever said for eight straight shows. Yeah, but yeah that's how much of a role they were on that happened to all be at the point where i was going to see them consecutively once we get into next week's show for night two they probably should have played something else instead of whoever said it especially because again not sure the, if the crowd the wanted back to back too. yeah in the same spot yeah yeah, yeah back to back gigaton is tough like I, I i get it if whoever said was pushed to like mid set or a little bit after quarter or something but this is supposed to be the pump you up moment this is supposed to be where the crowd gets fueled they should be fueled but i think it's just kind of like a hey we like what we heard but we want corduroy yeah that's what you got and even during corduroy a little bit like through that beginning ed is still kind of like come on come on like trying to get the crowd engaged a little bit like Maybe there was a little bit of a hangover going into it, but once they're firmly in the midst of the song, it's straight fire from there. This was awesome. It blew me away. And and look, I can say that about, I've probably seen Corduroy 25 times out of the 29 shows, something crazy like that. I can probably say that about every version I've seen, but this one felt like in a big crowd like this, they pushed it to another level. The extension jam was awesome and felt like it could go on forever. And you just got so invested, just everything that was going on and the call and response sounded great. 
And then the explosion for the end was just perfect too. It was all based off the energy and it was just building that little bit of tension and feeling the hand claps at the end and then just kind of going off of that. And Mike, from that point forward, that was telling you the rest of this show is going to be a barn burner and is going to be one for the ages. Yeah, showstopper version of Corduroy. And this is what starts to create the legend that is this show or what this show is going to become. Yeah, going back and listening to this again, it's like the new versions of Corduroy, they'll go into that, everything drops, right? And it goes into that new section. But here they hold off on the drop. They're still pushing it for like a couple more measures. And I'm like, oh man, are they not going to do it? Are they going to keep pushing through this? But the drop happens just a little bit later. But you can tell they were like, we're in a good place with this. Just keep pushing, keep pushing it. And then you do the drop. But the call and response is fantastic as well. Goes for the big, big ending. Yeah, this is another big highlight. that we're in we're settled we got the song that we want and says everybody all right everybody good now we're gonna start this one together thinking we might fuck it up i think it would be great if we get it right but if we fuck it up it's gonna be my fault i'm just telling you right now i'll be the one to blame because i'll at least have the balls to fucking try it it's gonna be satan's bed that's what i thought yeah i i I was sure i was sure stuck in the moment and I was just kind of trying to listen to what he said and react to what he said. And sometimes there's no clues. I guess I wanted to be surprised. And I'm sure as fuck glad that I was surprised because the minute that those drums come in and you hear that's out of my heads, man. And as that's going on, I think that I might've grabbed Jim and in my most can't believe it just happened and loudest pitch that could come out of my voice. And then I went, God dies, God dies, God dies.
songs on a level of like, do you think you'll ever get a shot to see them? A lot of binaural songs are on that list. Parting Ways and Evacuation, I suppose, and Rival. And God's Dice was kind of right there as one of those that I'm like, I'll never get it. It's never going to happen. It's just not a song that I ever see. What's funny is that you go back to the 2009 United Center show. I went to the night two. They ended up playing this on night one, which at the time there were like four songs from that show that I, for years, never ended up seeing. And this was one of them. So I kind of had a little bit of that regret, like, oh, I should have been that night too. But that was just fun. You give them performance-wise what they can expect and what's going to be powerful and the sound of the show and how tight the band is going to be. And then God's Dice is giving them and saying, all right, here's the weird stuff that we're going to throw the gauntlet down for tonight. You better be ready for this because you know that once you get a God's Dice, you're not done getting God's Dice type songs. And I love how excited it got to because after that disclaimer, where he gets to the first line, he goes, got it. And then you're off and running. I, I, I love the excitement there. Oh, yeah. And they really didn't fuck it up either. No, not yeah. bad at all. Yeah. It's nowhere near as close to as fast as they once did it. But I think that kind of made it fun and kind of made it a little bit bouncy. And, you know, this whole tour was just about like, hey, remember that song? Can we still do that song? Yeah, I think we should do that song. I'm just trying it. Again, having the balls to fucking try it. It's not the worst thing in the world. And look, from that point forward, I probably wasn't even considering that there would be another binaural song at this show, but pretty lucky to get two in 2023. That's for damn sure. Sure. Faithful following up on that. Again, you're not playing around. Once you go into another song that's pretty uncommon to hear nowadays, you're not screwing around with this. And Faithful, I think the response from the crowd was perfect because you need the crowd on this to have a big version in this day and age. Like, you can have a good version and have it sound good, but, like, the crowd nowadays kind of gets the meaning of the song and kind of attaches it and it's kind of an identity song to where a lot of the times we call ourselves the faithful with two L's and it just kind of goes hand in hand and people hear it and they get really attached and everybody can sing we all believe we all believe and it was just fun like I used to love the song so much more than I kind of do now hearing this again kind of brings me back to like okay faithful's pretty great i get all of that and all that's some tangible stuff as for the performance itself it's not the best version of faithful i think this is tuned down half a step it, is, it does yeah. sound a little weird sound a little off and ed is definitely not pushing his voice on it he lays off a little bit doesn't go for it full throat so not a perfect version of faithful but i, I get it it's a yield song it's going to push all those buttons that you're going to get but if you're listening for the pure 1998 version you're not going to get it here like again experience over like that's where the bootleg versus the moment kind of comes into play and i think the moment wins out for that ed goes off before quick escape by saying that this is a science fiction tale about a species that could see they were destroying their own planet and on and on and on and says it's science fiction and then almost kind of forgets the name that it was called quick escape quick escape on this night blew me the fuck away whoa 
I think that this was all that I wanted from Quick Escape from 2022. And I liked Quick Escape from 2022, but I felt like it needed to boost the volume a little bit. It needed to show a little bit more power and a little bit more force. And this had this. Like, when listening to this, it was like out-of-body experience sort of stuff. Like, you know, I saw Tool years ago. And listening to Tool live and then going through their shows and and hearing how loud it is, it almost it takes you back. It's the THX sitting in the chair kind of moment. It just all takes you back. And then the minute the song stops, you kind of have this moment like, whoa, what do we all just hear? And it's fantastic. Like, that's the same sensation I got from this version of Quick Escape. Everybody was just firing on every single cylinder in this. And when you look at shows that you can dub instant classics, you have to look for things that are kind of outside of the headliner topics, like what would come later. And you look at how good were the performances of, I don't want to call Quick Escape a pedestrian song at all, because it's not, but like of the meat and potatoes of the set list. You're not looking at a set and saying Quick Escape, that is a rarity, or you're just thinking like, oh, that's a killer song, but like it exceeded that bar. But from what this kind of show is and how this kind of show gets considered to be instant classic these kind of songs need to exceed that bar for this to be a memorable show and that's all that transpires here and it's probably for my money the tightest that i've ever heard this band on this song and i think that's saying a lot yeah i mean it's all about cameron has one of his best performances in the night here him and jeff together just lock it in completely even ed doing the little like countdown spaceship talking bit that can feel a little thrown off the cuff or a little bit rushed a little bit but here he nails it completely and maybe this was the inspiration for him doing that voice in the clip for that movie that they heard this <laughs> and they were like oh we need him to do the, the airport voice but uh yeah Wait, just uh, i thought that was hal liggett yeah oh hal liggett yeah just maybe a long it wasn't ed or something but Ow. uh yeah, just an absolutely incredible performance. I mean, you're, you've already gotten, in my opinion, the two best live Giga Dunn songs already in Retrograde and Quick Escape, so anything else after that is crazy. And weirdly, four Giga Dunn on this night. It yeah. feels, again, strange. The, the, for the most played album. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even recognize that, but... Yep, they spread it out. Yeah, it wouldn't be like that for night two, but we'll get to that next week. So Ed mentions here, Jeff put the band's attention on a show called The Bear. Ed got excited because he thought it was a show called The Bears because it was a Chicago show being about Mike Ditka and Mike Singletary, Walter Payton, and all those guys. So he said, my friends and myself had worked in restaurants in Chicago back in the day. If you haven't worked in a restaurant, you think they're making this shit up. They are not. I can attest to that. I've worked in some restaurants too it can get really intense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've done I it st- as well. I still wake up with waiter nightmares 30 years later, waiting tables at two different restaurants across the street from each other. I have all these plates on my arm, and then the light won't fucking turn green. That is a nightmare and a half. Like, talk about your going to school naked and, like, losing family members and all that, but, like, that one turns your stomach because that feels like it could be real. So he wakes up from that, says, thank God I'm in a band. And then Jeff says that this song was one of the coolest visual usage 
of one of their songs that he's ever seen in a show. And I think it was pretty inevitable that we were going to get this mentioned because it's not all the time that the actual band would promote that they had some music on a show and they did for the bear. They put it out on their social media because they had animal. They had come back. They had throw your arms around me. I think that was a solo ad and they all got plated this week. So they hit them all. But I think that there was a sense here that they were proud of the usage on the show. Like you never hear them talk about like yellow lead better being on friends or any random movie. I, I even think that there was no press for that Uber show. You remember that Uber show with Joseph Gordon Levitt where yeah. a ton of, yeah. Like I think the trailer had why go and they okay. had the, the raws for that. So they took out the vocals and stuff like that. It was very cool. Yeah. River mirror was another one that was used on that show. I don't think the band talked about that at all, but, yeah. and when I talk about the band, I mean, their socials, newsletters and sure. stuff like that, but sure. they talked about the bear a lot and they wanted to make sure that people went out and watched this show and, and looked out for not just Pearl Jam songs, but REM songs, Wilco songs. Yep. Yep. Refused. Great soundtrack. And absolutely. I mean, this is really is, this is one of the best things that's been on television in the last few years. Like I love the show and yeah, animal actually closed the first episode right as the credits rolled and it's absolutely great use of it. And actually, you mentioned, you know, come back and throw your arms around me. They actually use live versions of that for the show. So you know that the people in charge were definitely fans, and they definitely knew what was up. And then they actually, in season two, they go back to Animal in one of the episodes and bring it back, and kind of let it have another moment there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This was weird at the time. Like, I didn't think we were going to get this. It felt a little off, but they work it in really well. And then the performance is just fantastic. Again, another, like, performance out of the stratosphere. Yeah, really bouncy and buzzy. Like, the buzz from this song was really cool because it wasn't, like, fully down-tuned, but you could tell it was, like, a little bit lower and darker than usual. And I kind of like when Animal's been sounding like this, and maybe it's the way some of the guitars that they've been using it for, especially Stone. That's the Javier question. But I just remember the reaction after mentioning the bear was just massive, and everybody was really into it. And doing the, the one, two, three, four, five, I saw hands all around and I saw everybody you know when Ed throws it to the crowd I'd rather be and oh yeah this was so much fun and I had planned to at karaoke make Animal like the one that I wanted to focus on but after seeing this on this night I'm like oh I'm gonna tear it up even more tomorrow just you wait and yeah that was that was a real fun one so yeah great buzz to it great pace and Animal gets you all loose and excited and gets some fun in you and going back to that how you make an instant classic there's a lot of ingredients here that go in with the recipe and i think one of the more important unsung ones is that the show can turn on a dime at any moment where you can just be having fun you can be rocking out and enjoying pearl jam and then they can take you in another direction in a snap of a finger so ed would go on here to say that the night before that he attended his aunt Sandy's funeral and he just kind of talks about her a little bit and he kind of talks about just like what it means to have somebody in your life and the impact that somebody can 
put on your life and what it means to not have them and not be able to kind of share those moments with them anymore. And he gets really emotional with this and you watch him during this and you just get drawn into the moment. It doesn't matter what song is going to be next. You're just listening to him tell a story of his life, talking about her children and grandchildren being in the audience, his cousins. And when you stop on a dime like that and pivot change directions entirely throws everybody for a loop that's what gets you when you mess with people's emotions it shows and then right after they do light years you're gonna go right back to an upper with even flow like you're really swinging the mood of an audience and again it's not like he's trying to be like maestro and do that per se but he knows he needs to get some emotional moments in this show and to balance this out with the other family story that he's going to have in the encore i think it just all worked magically from that perspective yeah light years is one that can be a little more solemn or it can soar a little bit depending on how they feel about it i think the speech here and the sentiment behind it i think this version soars a little bit and i think it works best when there's a specific push behind it for a person as sad as that is in, in a lot of the cases, I think it leads to some pretty incredible performances, and this is one of them. Yeah, I love this version of Light Years as well. I don't disagree at all. Yeah, just spirited. Like, something kind of goes through, and you can either get choked up, and you can let the moment take a hold of you, or you can take a hold of the moment. And you can tell, like, there's some moments in this where Ed seems like he's working through something, and he doesn't know exactly how he should sing the lyrics so he just kind of lets it come out and it just kind of comes out as melody a little bit and just like seeing how vulnerable he is in the songs it's moving and then doing some of those vocal runs at the end and being able to just let his voice go and and you can tell that's pain and struggle just leaving his body and being thrown into the universe and telling people that hey if you just recently went through something like this too, you're not alone. And I think it's just one of the magical things that happens on this night that's so uberly important into just making this a full, complete show where you can say all these incredible things happen. Right after that, you pivot once again, and you're back to being at a kick-ass rock and roll show. Like, that's just, again, the magic of how it all works. So, Even Flow, we're going to get into Javier for Even Flow. Dance of Clairvoyance is going to follow up on that. 
So why don't we talk to Javier right now? All I can say about this even flow is that it's an absolute bag of tricks. <laughs> it's got everything. I had so, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. What everything entails, I can't explain. John can't explain. Javier can. So. Turn it. Turn it. Turn it. Sorry. That went into the thing. Yeah, I got what you're doing. Yeah. My generation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. am the walrus. Yep. Javier, do your thing. wondering like okay why even flow we have heard that song like a bazillion times well there's some stuff that we need to mention too because for this tour there's no tooth screamer on the board for none of them which is extremely extremely rare since they always tend to run to a screamers on their boards but i wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about a pedal called the exotic ep booster yes you have heard that in the past but now I wanted to dig deeper in what it really does. So, whenever you hear a solo from Microstone, you usually hear this kind of like click on the recording, and then you will hear like this, like you have like a bunch of more air over the amp. That is being made by the EP booster. Now, sometimes when you have a boosted signal over like a very, very, very loud setting, or in this case, a combination of amps, sometimes you're going to lose a lot of definition and sparkle so what the booster does is actually is going to add some high end adds definition and adds sparkle it's kind of like you have like a little extra flavor over the guitar tone and everything sounds extremely well articulated and extremely well defined now the challenge is that for sometimes like when you have like super bright instruments like a fender strat like he uses for this kind of song, this pedal is gonna complement and it's gonna fix that super high end and that brightness that the instrument has by itself and it's gonna correct it and it's gonna create more definition so you can hear whatever like a univibe is added or what pedal is added. In this case, there's no univibe, the univibe was removed for this tour and now there's only an MXR Face 90 that is being toggled in between the speed for low and fast and he does that when Usually he gets to the floor and he rolls the knob all over to the right. But if you're wondering like why so important, it is important because again, in bright instruments as Telecasters or Stratocasters, this is gonna help to define your sound. It's not gonna get all over the place since you're playing to a louder volume and you wanna get in front of the mix. Now, the other element that you need to consider as well is you're adding a third amp. In this case, he's adding the twin reverb, the one that's in the bottom, in the left, and that's going to kick in whatever he's doing a solo so most likely that's going to add a lot of brightness to it this pedal is going to tame that since fender amps they tend to be a little bright by default so yeah that's the other one that we need to talk to this week all right so javier 
loves what Mike had on his board during this tour. And I'm sure he went through the whole thing and just gushed over it all. He told me on text that he said, even Flo and Alive at this show were just out of this world. And I don't disagree with him at all. Yep. Great stuff. Great version here. And now let's get into Dance of Clairvoyance. And really not much of the song, but it's the talking before the song. So Ed sees a sign in the crowd and he's like whoa is it your 50th birthday or something and kind of rereads it. he says 50th show well what did i get you last year and the guy just screams out rats and just creates just a really pretty hysterical moment then ed kind of goes into this thing like oh i that was pretty thoughtful of me didn't know that you were going to be here so i guess i got to come up with something else anybody got a hamster and then he's like oh i i, I want to deflect from this conversation as quick as i can so Turns out that the next night I end up meeting this guy who it was his 50th show and said that he got rats for his 49th last year. And his name was Chuck. And I got to meet his wife and his son. And they were all waiting for the show in GA and doing it all. And yeah, it was just kind of crazy. I'm like, so rats just kind of came out of your mouth. It's like, yeah, it's the first thing I thought of. I can't remember if he said he was at Nashville or not, but that might have come up. So we got to talking to them for a long time and they're like New York, New Jersey people. So yeah, got got along with them really well. And just kind of crazy that those things happen sometimes that you just bump into whoever there's just a small community. Like, Oh, you were part of the show last night. That's pretty awesome. So shout out to Chuck, shout out to Chuck right there and his family. So dance of clairvoyance right here. It does feel like a little bit of a buffer before you're going to get into kind of a triple headed monster of songs that don't get played very often. So, well, pretty good and fine. It's the last of four gigaton songs at the show. It probably wasn't the one that I was looking forward to seeing the most, but it was, it was fine. Nothing against it. I think, again, shows like this need glue, and it was pretty good glue. It's not my favorite. Again, another kind of momentum trainer, but you put it after even flow, it's kind of a reset. But I will say that 2023 Dance of the Clairvoyance, I think, is better than 2022 Dance of the Clairvoyance. I think they've gotten a little tighter on it and gotten a little more locked in on it. So I'll give it that. So now Ed's going over and he's saying, I got an Irish crewman who takes care of my guitar. He's kind of like, all right, come out. And uh, it's not an Irishman. It is a Greek. His name is Chris Chelios, and he's done some amazing things in that building. As you'll know from two nights later, where we will talk about Chris Chelios a whole lot more. It was kind of fun to see him come out with a guitar. I think other Chicago athletes have done that on Chicago stages before. I think Dennis Rodman, obviously. Then he gives a little bit of a shout out to another Irishman, as he always, always, anytime he's talking about Bono or, you know, Bono adjacent, he says, oh, an Irishman. I've documented that so many different times on this show. Gives out a shout out to Inhaler, obviously Bono's son who opened. And he says, so this next one was written in Dublin's sister city, Seattle. That was kind of a funny tee into that. In my tree, then comatose, then down. I think in my tree was really the moment where I kind of took a second and I was like, this is legit turning into something incredible. You brought out some rare ones earlier in the set. Then you went through and you told an amazing story 
you had an amazing version of your biggest hit, and now you're coming back to one of the most fan serviceable songs that you can play. And from here on out, it's completely unpredictable. You can play just about anything and it would work. And this is formulating in my mind like, okay, this is turning from like A minus A to A plus and not going to be topped. And it had been a long time since I had heard In My Tree. It was one I was looking very, very forward to hearing. And it really felt like my whole entire section was locked into this as well. It was awesome. And you're the In My Tree guy. So it was funny because I, I think I texted you and Dave and I was just like, sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> but you were like, no, play it more. That means I get more yeah, chances. Dude, for sure. I mean, this is my favorite Pearl Jam song, hands down. And I'm not going to be bummed out if they play it anytime. Yeah, play more. This is a fantastic version as well. I mean, it's aided, I think, and I know you're going to talk about this too. We haven't mentioned Josh yet, but what Josh is adding to In My Tree really, I think, takes it to another level here. And the ending, just fantastic with Mike and Josh and Matt together. They can't replicate what Jack was doing, but they're getting pretty damn close. Yeah, on that aspect, it was really good. I thought that there was a little bit of a disconnect and it might be like that Mike wasn't hearing somebody properly, like wasn't hearing either Matt or, or somebody else, but it sounded like Mike was half a step off a little bit. It just felt like he wasn't completely synced up with the rest of the song, because some of those notes, like the little dun-dun-dun, kind of felt like they were behind the progression of the song a little bit. It didn't take me out of the song, but it's just something that I noticed. Ed says to Mike, can you beat that one? Can you push it again? And we get one of the songs that was on two of my list. One, I don't think they'd ever play this again. And two, I don't think I ever want to hear this again because of how bad it was the last time that I saw it. And that's Comatose. I was seriously like, what the hell are they doing? Because going back, the last time that they had played it was Fenway in obviously 2018. And that version was a complete train wreck. And I said after that, they never have to do this again if they don't want to. Because it is completely lost on the bridge. It is way too fast for what they were trying to go for. And I think they played it in an encore. And even thinking about songs like that in an era like this, they don't play fast like this anymore. It just doesn't seem to work as much. But they did it, and honestly, I thought that it sounded pretty decent. Ed really held his own on it, too. Like, it wasn't a lot of trying to overdo itself, and it did sound like there was... And maybe this was purposeful or not, but it sounded like the solo kind of had an extra measure or so to it that maybe like Ed could take a vocal rest before going into the last piece of the song. But honestly, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, another one that's definitely tuned down when you listen to on the bootleg. You're like, oh, this doesn't sound like comatose, but 
I think I'm with you. I didn't mind it. Again, if you're spot on about Fenway, I remember listening to that and being like, oh no, don't do that. And it um, was down-tuned at that show too, and yeah, I likened it to yeah. the brown noise. That's how bad yeah. it was. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this felt like it had some energy to it, and like he gives Detroit a little shout-out during the Pistons line, so he's in the basketball arena, he's thinking about basketball, which kind of ties it's into so the weird. But They're such big rivals, like, why? Like, yeah, why? Yeah. You know? Well, Rodman. It's it's the Rodman thing, probably. I guess. But yeah, I mean, Comatose for, like, it should be one of my favorite songs, like, it's a fast one, but I almost never go back to it. Shout-out to Howard Zinn and Studs Terkel before going into Down. And Down was a lot of fun. Down is kind of one of those... It's not the same vein as All Night for me, but I do get it a lot. It's obviously been played a lot more than All Night, but it does feel like at times when you could get another Lost Dog, it's like, Down. I'm like, eh, I, I have seen it before, but I, I, I'm at the point now where I just don't give a shit, and I just have fun with it, and it was a pretty fun version. But it does feel like Down kind of in the same way that dance of the clairvoyance is just like one piece just preparing you for the next big moment if you know what i mean well ed talks about a heartfelt petition to play a song and i can say that i knew what was going on with this obviously this was a marty thing and when marty things are on the table it's really really difficult to turn your back and say i'm not interested you're interested because you see the passion that comes from him and you gravitate towards it. So anytime he has anything to say and he's speaking from the heart, you're like, okay, man, I didn't know Franz. I don't even know if I talked to him very often on the internet, but I had followed his whole entire story. I knew that he had cancer I knew that he was ailing, and I knew that a lot of my very good friends, in, in very similar to Sean Sullivan, that they were worried about him and that they wanted to raise money for him. And we talked about this for a while. Like, I think the night before, when I told you about when I met up with all the Scots, they, I think he was mentioned a lot. And. Marty had mentioned his name and that was something that he was really passionate. He was just like, we really need to get this for Franz. And, you know, you do the whole thing where you, you get people to change your avatars on Facebook. And that's something that I did and just kind of thing like you show support at that moment. And he went out and got a lot of other people to help out and email the band and the 10 club and say, look, this was our friend. We lost him this summer and we would just like, for you guys to play his song because we'd really appreciate it. He didn't have a lot of family and he wasn't really left with a lot. So everybody got together and they paid for a nice service for him. And Ed was moved by this because it's another one of these things where it's like the community all comes together. Yeah. It's through Pearl jam, but through Pearl jam, you create friendships and they become lifelong friendships. And while it's like the base of why you are friends, the friendship is so much stronger than the reason you're friends. You know, it's greater than that. And I think a lot of people felt that about Franz. I told Marty the whole entire time, like, I think that this will be really important if this happens. It's a beautiful story. So we're honored to honor him. Um, this is what he wanted to hear. Thank you. 
it's important that good people in this community get recognized and remembered by the band specifically because if the band pays tribute to his life and legacy that is cemented forever throughout every single person that listens to this bootleg that listens to this podcast and hears the story of this show he is part of this story that I think is so much more weight than you can imagine because again that's community coming together and seeing that they're going through a grieving process and asking the band will you please grieve with us for one of your own and them saying how can we not we almost have to do it at this point if everybody feels a certain way about his life and what he meant to people then we're gonna do something special for him and I'm very very thankful that they did I know that Marty was very emotional after it all happened and our piece the best of 2023 came out yesterday and we got Marty to write about this moment it's very very high on the list and if you want more of his take that'll be there and I think you guys should read it because it is important to hear what his perspective is yeah, I think Ed really tells the story better than anyone else could because you hear him get choked up a little bit. Like, he says they just heard about this yesterday. Like, you know that they spent time on this and this was brought to their attention and really connected with them because, like you mentioned, community all the time. These are the kind of things that resonate with them 30-plus years in as a band. And it's almost like he's trying not to mention Franz by name because he doesn't want to make it about that. He doesn't want to be exploitative about it. He wants just to tell the story and play the song and have it be what it is. But after the first verse, like, he just can't help it. Like, he's got it inside. He just shouts, like, this is for you, Franz. And then he does it again later in the song. Yeah, it's an unbelievable moment. And probably one of the best moments of this tour, one of the best moments of the last few years. It's a perfect way for the band to go about doing it. I'm glad they played it for him.
right, we are at the Encore. Let's pause for station identification and talk a little bit about Patreon. So, last week we had put out our Evolution episode on Indifference. Well, hold the phone. If you haven't listened to Indifference yet, definitely head over and listen to Indifference. But we have one more Evolution episode that's on the horizon. And it is going to be revealed tomorrow. Because if you're listening to this on Wednesday, what we do every year at the holiday party, which we can get more into in just a second, is that we reveal a brand new Evolution episode to you guys as a gift. And it's something that is usually related to the tour year that we had just had. And it's a smaller one. But again, it's one that we like to do is just kind of a throw in and be like, hey, like what we're doing here for the Chicago episode is like, this is what happened this year. And this is how this song has evolved. So it kind of can come down to a couple choices. And I'll let you sort of waffle that in your brains until it comes out. But that will be out tomorrow. I'll press publish on it the minute that the party starts and the minute I announce it. So people will get that in their inbox. And if you are interested in knowing what that is, then all you're going to have to do is just join up to our Patreon and become one of the peoples. So to do that, all you got to do is head over to patreon.com slash live on four legs join on one of the tiers and really all you got to do is join the bonus leg tier just a dollar a month and all of that content is there if you want to do a little more be able to make sure that you get an episode for yourself then you're going to want to do the gig leg or the horizon leg tier for five ten dollars a month and that'll really get you in and you know now it's a downtime a little bit but now that look things are going to be happening it feels like 2024 is going to be pretty big. So it's one of those things where you want to get in on it now. If you want to digest all the content before all the super exciting stuff happens later. And once we get into later, the year, you guys know that this is all tour related. And if you guys have been listening to the tour recaps, there's going to be a lot more tour recaps to come this year. I don't want to say we're hoping, but it's pretty inevitable at this point where they are. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know, but it seems like it's going to happen. So that's the selfer over there. But again, if you've just been interested in joining for a long time and haven't done it yet, but you want to digest all of the content, now is a really good time to do that while you might be getting your vacations and have a little bit of time on your hand during the holidays and all that. So we do have the indifference episode that's up. I've been meaning to publish out a couple things. We have a hallucinogenic recipe episode on the horizon and that's going to be about November 1993 bootlegs. That'll be worked on and be out to you probably before the holiday. We also have our uncut interview with Jonathan Cohen that is going to be out there. And again, these things should have been out a week or so ago. But as I kind of have mentioned, and I promise I won't mention this anymore after 2024, stop using it as an excuse. But the move has hit this family pretty hard the first week that we moved in. Yeah, it didn't really work out that well for us because we all got sick and it was just not a good week. So, but still, if you are looking for that content, more content will be coming your way. And again, January is a good time. Not a lot going on. John and I can work on some stuff. We'll finish up the TV series, the late night series and get all those done. And, and then we'll think of something else to do. 
And once we think of something else to do, that'll be in your hands too. So again, it's patreon.com slash live on four legs, or you can go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs and you can join that way. Or you can go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button and do it that way. Now, a lot of people have been actually joining up to Patreon for free and I've been seeing a lot of new free patrons. So if you are joining up for free, you won't get access to any of the episodes that we just put up there, like an indifference evolution. Like that's not the access that you'll get. You'll get access to some of the free stuff, but there isn't a lot. So all you got to do is just make sure that you pitch in a dollar a month and you will be able to listen to that content. So hopefully you guys will get on that and be a part of this. Or if you're brand new and you haven't been part of Patreon yet, then please feel free to head on over. We are looking for more people. We're looking for the help. And December, it's very, very important because it helps pay for our website bills this month. Greatly, greatly appreciated. So tomorrow night, Thursday night, It is our holiday party, our fourth annual Zoom party, and it'll be a lot of fun. Obviously, for people that have been part of the gift exchange, it's where we exchange gifts, and we bring on some friends to do some performances, and we just kind of hang out and enjoy life and talk about Pearl Jam, and maybe there's some guests that swing by. I think we have a little bit of a competition that we're going to be doing, a little contest, so if you're interested in that, that should be a lot of fun. If you're on Facebook and you're following the event, then you'll be able to see where the link is to join up on the Zoom. I will post it to the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook as well. Make sure you're following that because that'll have all the updates for you guys. If you aren't on Patreon, I'll post on Patreon. But if you aren't on Patreon and you want to attend the party, please make sure you write in to live on four legs podcast at gmail.com and we'll make sure that you get a link sent your way and everybody just gets to celebrate together. It's, it's a really good time. And I think John is going to play banjo naked. That's what you told me, right? We we will see. We will see. Oh, sorry. Cats out of the bag. We'll see how the night takes us. (laughs) Well, I I mean, now I I put all that pressure on you. So I, I think you have to. So I don't own a banjo. I thought that was like a rite of passage for Georgians that you had to own a banjo. Careful, careful, careful. (laughs) All right, enough from that, enough from us. You want to go back into the show. There's a lot more important things to talk about, so let's get back to the rock. So right out of the encore, Ed had been doing this first couple shows already, come out by himself, do a solo song, but I don't think we really expected what was to come. As I mentioned earlier, there was a little nod to family talking about his aunt's funeral. And it seemed like Ed was in a real nostalgic mood that day when going around suburb of Chicago. So the beginning of this little speech and the way he's kind of putting it to our attention, he's like, Oh, this is a cautionary tale of if you see somebody's face and you don't really know how to react to it. And you think you're scared and he keeps going on and on. I'm like, all right, instantly, This is going to be a ramble, and I am just going to twiddle my thumbs and just wait for the punchline. But that wasn't the case at all, because once Ed says, oh, well, I was in the neighborhood for where my grandmother used to live, 
and kind of talks about, and this hit home for me because this is very similar to my upbringing as well, that grandma's house was the core, he says, the sun where all the planets revolved around. And that was very much like that. My grandma's house was always where we did Thanksgiving. It was always where my cousin stayed and everything like that. So, yeah, like once he said that, I'm like, oh, I'm in. This is going to be a family story. And family ed stories are usually very, very good. So talks about how he wanted to go back and see the place. So they go back and Ed's kind of pointing to his friends. He's like, ah, oh, that's where we used to play baseball. And that's this and that. And he sees a family out in the front window and the family sees him and they're kind of giving him a look. And he's like, oh no, these are cool guys. He says, he uses the terminology, cool guys, guys with tattoos and big guys, with beards and stuff like that. So they make eye contact and Ed is like, all right, this is the time we roll. We bounce. But the guys come out of the house. They're like, hey, are you Eddie Vetter? We heard a rumor about you that you had family that used to live here. And then from there, you could never judge a face by its cover, I suppose. And it was all good from there. And everybody got pictures and smiles. So he's got a PowerPoint presentation on the, on the screens there. They go through all these pictures of the family and everything. Yeah. Right. So the first family that I talked to, I don't think that was the family that was living exactly in his grandma's apartment, but then they direct him to that family and finds out that they've been raising uh, like a five or six kid family there. And he gets a picture with one of the youngest kids and the father. And it's pretty heartwarming because you think to yourself and Uh, One time uh, I was out in my yard, I was like playing basketball or something and I saw a car kind of slowly pull up and I looked at them and I'm like, do you need help with anything? And it was just some woman. She was like, I used to live here 50 years ago. And I'm like, ah, cool. See ya. And like, I didn't like think to like invite them in because it just wasn't really a thing. And I was 16 years old, so I didn't give a shit. But seeing that they made this kind of connection and Ed was really interested in knowing whether there was a loving family that was living there, that he lived a life of love there and his grandmother brought a lot of love to his family. So he wanted to make sure they they were holding up the tradition in the same place that he had his upbringing in and found out that that was absolutely the case. So... We see these pictures, but then Ed's like, oh, we had invited them to the show and their youngest was supposed to go off to med school today, but said, oh, I can get to my class early tomorrow if I leave tonight, if I leave after the show. So it turns out that the kid and his father are there. You don't see the kid in the crowd, but you do see the father and the father is super emotional. He's got his hand out and he's like kind of bowing to him and his tears are streaming down from his eyes. And like, you can kind of tell, like, I think I talked to somebody that was in GA and I can't remember who. And they said that at one point they just saw some pushing and they're like, what the hell is going on here? And then when they realized that it was Ed trying to catch this guy's attention, that was like, Oh, okay, yeah, you're part of the show. Wow, this is pretty incredible. And kind of witness their face up front and personal. Like, that's really powerful right there. To me, in that moment, being in that arena, I thought to myself, like, 
this is one of the best non-performance kind of things that I've ever seen in the Pearl Jam show. Just bringing it all together and creating this kind of moment and letting you in on his life. I think that's one of the most interesting things is that Ed has been so secretive about what his upbringing has been. And we've only known like little hints and little details, but we've been so invested in this band that it feels like they are part of our family too. So when we hear something about Ed's upbringing, we feel even closer to him. And I think that's what brought everybody together on this. Just a a remarkable moment. I mean, it's a great story and a night full of them, but I remember being surprised because there's like the reveal was like, and they're here. And like, it cuts to them, like you said, in the front row and the guy's very emotional. And that really brings it home. Like, oh my God, you get the payoff that like, oh, they're actually at the show and they're right up front. Yeah, incredible. And then... Ed says something, and he's like, oh, you know, the beautiful summer sky, the Chicago summer sky. And I knew from there, I'm like, okay, I heard summer sky. And at that point, I'd been listening to Throw Your Arms Around Me a lot. Like, probably top one or two songs that I wanted to hear on this whole entire tour that I had never heard before. So once he kind of said that, I'm like, oh, please let this be it. I will come to you in the daytime I will climb into your shame I will kiss you in four places As I go running down your street I will squeeze the life right out of you I will make you laugh and make you cry And we may never forget it as I make you call my name As a shout here to the blue summer sky And we may never meet again So shed your skin, let's get started And you will throw your arms around me to me made this moment like it just had such a massive payoff of this moment because you're telling a powerful story and then you're playing a song with so much passion behind it to follow up on that that it honestly what happens during this is that I do something that I hadn't done in a concert in a very long time it kind of I was feeling emotional it kind of led me to want to call my wife and let her listen to the song because we love the song and we've always kind of connected over it. It came very, very close to being our first dance song, but I believe it was my mother-in-law who said that she didn't like the idea of shed your skin and let's get started. So it was next. And as I mentioned before, that Just Breathe has a connection to that. I didn't end up calling her during Just Breathe, but I called her during this. And Just Breathe was our actual first dance song we've always felt something special about this song. So we just called her. It was probably minutes after her Noah Khan show ended. I just let her listen to the song and told her I loved her. And I think it was just one of those things where family was on my mind and knowing how hectic the day was beforehand. It was just kind of missing home a little bit in that moment and kind of understanding that they were probably missing me a little bit too. So 
anything I could do to kind of put us in the same place for a minute or two was good enough, and the performance was just spectacular. One of my favorite songs, too, that I've been on a really good run with, like, can't get enough of it for the last few months. This one's up there, too. Pearl Jam's got a really good history with this song that not a lot of people talk about. That'd be really interesting, too. They've been playing it for a long time, and it seems to pop up in these big moments. Bringing on more. And again, I don't know if the idea of this being on the bear just kind of heightened the attention towards it, but... You know, they end up playing it again as a pre-show song before the second Austin night. So it's on his mind. Now, inside job. I guess all of that emotion just kind of transfers over and the momentum kind of transfers over into the next. Because inside job is another, it's a top 10, top five song for me. It has been for quite a while. This is something that I wrote about on the best of. I I made sure that this made the list and this was one of my songs because this story is very important to me. So I had a moment with this and maybe it was just because everything that was in the air, but I've told people, anybody that would want to listen to just my story of how some of the struggles that have happened with this podcast before and trying to maintain things and You know, not knowing if what we're doing every week is being put out there for people to enjoy and that people are grasping at this and that people like know who we are. And I think it was a lot of just like my heart and soul going into this. And all I want to happen is for people to get where we're coming from and connect with it. And for a couple years you got glimpses of it for sure but there are a lot of times where you feel like you can't get the traction you feel like are we just publishing a podcast in the forest and seeing if anybody listens kind of deal and it's tough because i think when you're creating something all you kind of want is the knowledge that people at least if not enjoying it then at least have feedback on it at least feel a certain way about it it had been hard for me to cope with that at times at these shows in chicago i I feel like it was to me going back to where we were hanging out you know with edge and everybody that was hanging out with us like 15 people that's the kind of thing it's just it's not like oh me and my friends it's like i've somehow had all these people gravitate towards where I ended up being and without putting blood, sweat and tears into a little weekly podcast, none of that really happens. You know, I don't want to say that people are hanging out with me because of a podcast. I hope that's not the case, but it gives me that kind of boost of confidence to say like, I I've done something that's made people happy and be proud of that. So And then, like, I don't really know if that's hitting me during the song, but, like, the song, as always, is just incredible, and it takes you for a ride. It's emotional. It's a journey. Mike plays his way to the heavens. And then they get to the part at the end, and it's the line, life comes from within your heart and desire. And for some reason, 
at that moment in time, hearing that line made me think to myself, that's it. It's exactly what I've been doing this whole entire time, putting in my heart and my soul and doing it because I genuinely want to do it. Hearing that line somehow made me completely break down. And again, I don't know if that was some sort of momentum one song into the next kind of thing that made it the case, but I swear I never cried like that at a Pearl Jam show in my life. It was legit sobbing in the way that you had just like heard some tragic news kind of sobbing. Something had hit me at that moment, and I could not explain much more than that, that it was just me hearing from the band that everything that I had worked for was for a good reason. I guess that was their way of subliminally saying that to me, and I don't know. I I can't really explain it, but uh, that was the craziest way I've ever felt at a Pearl Jam show in my life. It's hard to follow up everything that's happened at the show because, like, there's been so many twists and turns on this night. Like, we've gone through so many stories and, like, still a couple to come. But Inside Job is always one of those moments where you just kind of stop and, like, I'm just going to be in this moment right now. Because you see Mike with his head thrown back and his eyes closed for the whole intro. Ed, like, runs off stage for some reason as it's starting. I don't know what he's doing barely makes it back in time to sing but i mean it's it almost gets kind of overshadowed with all the other big stories this night but yeah another great performance 
All right. Well, it's time to turn around for the back. When you turn around to the back, of course, you see the fly the W flag. So Ed kind of mentions, if I got another tattoo, it would be that. And it's like right on my forehead. But he's like, W for wish list. So wish list getting played in Ridley territory. And now this is actually really interesting. So towards the end of the song, you get to see on the big screen that the cameras find themselves perched on a young girl holding up a sign that says ninth B-Day first show. And when you see that, the whole place erupts. And the camera stays on this girl for like the rest of the song. She starts sobbing and her father is there and like everybody just gives her a standing ovation. I don't know if like the band was privy to this, that they were paying attention to that. But they, they mentioned it the next night, and then there's some things that happened in between. But it was pretty magical. Like, you heard birthday things happen during shows and, and shout-outs and things like that. But I think it was just, like, the fact that there was already some magic in this show this night. And seeing a little girl with a birthday sign, just there's something just special about that. And, like, you know that she's witnessing now that she's on screen during a Pearl Jam show at her first show that she's getting something really magical like I mean there's nothing like that I guess you know in this era of the band we've seen him so many times and I've seen it in person kids being in GA and stuff and he'll kind of do a double take like oh so cool they make sure they get a tambourine yeah whenever there's young kids at a show that's always going to get his attention and he'll point out like oh you know i can tell that like you guys are a good crowd because you guys are taking care of these kids here and yet to have a show on your birthday that young that's a memory she's never going to forget not at all and that little girl's name is coda and her father's name is jason so literally less than 24 hours after the show jason messages me and is like, oh, I've been following the podcast. I know who you guys are. And all he wants to do is just share a story. He was on cloud. He's still on cloud nine. You talk to him. You can, he can talk to you for ages about this and who can blame him. He's still glowing from it. And, you know, he's another one. We got him to help out to write for the best of feature. And that's on live on four right now. You guys should all go and read that while you're listening to this, because again, the people that contributed to this, I thank all. Every single one of them, they did a phenomenal job, and there's some really, really special stuff in there. So it was just great to kind of know the story within the story. You know, send the best to, to Jason and Coda. Hope they're doing great, and hopefully they're listening to this, and glad we got to tell your story on the best of right there. Not For You is going to follow that, and I think kind of a surprise, because you know that there aren't going to be a whole lot of songs left in this set. And Not For You is more of a main set kind of song. When it's playing the encore, you're like, oh, all right, this is a little different. So we're kind of mixing this in, and and this is cool. Like, what do you got for us? Following that momentum, I think you needed a, a fun version of Not For You. And I think a lot of what you get from Not For You modern days, not modern girl, because they didn't do modern girl here, but in the modern day of Not For You, you do get a fun version. You get an uplifting one. You get kind of crowd participation, clapping, and all that instead of angsty 1995, fuck the media, fuck the advertisements, and, and the whole corporate speech that he had at Soldier Field. This was fun. This was a lot of fun, and it just felt like anything that they did going forward was just 
the cherry on top of what was a tremendous show. I love this version of that for you. It's just kind of a cool, we're just going to play this. It doesn't have, like you mentioned, the angst and everything, but anytime they bring back this original outro, it's going to get my attention. I love this. I thought they teased us pretty dirty not doing Modern Girl, to be honest with you. I, I can be done with Modern Girl for a while. Bring back that original outro. It wasn't quite original, though, because they did kind of do that chord at the end, because the original has that little doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. It does a little really bit do of that. it. does a little bit of it. I swear, that was full my whole life on a picture on a sunny day. Like, they were going to go into that, and they just oh, no, no, ease it, so. let it go. But it, it's great, because it's not like they're going to follow that up where they're going to have another speech and break it up. But that seamlessly goes right into Better Man. And I thought that that worked really, really well. And that led to a very powerful version of Better Man. And this was fun. Again, you're in the party hat mode and you're just really excited that you got a lot of great stuff at this show and anything can happen. You'd be really happy. And Better Man was just one that you just wanted to belt out and wanted to sing together with a big crowd and Ed in good spirits. And Ed doesn't get all the the lyrics in this and has to rely on that crowd and then afterwards it's just like it's fucking beautiful man and it just all kind of came at a point where they're going really hard after it and you can tell they are riding right through this and you can tell that the way they're playing it they are playing like the night is almost over and disappointing because the night is almost over but awesome because they are leaving it all on the table for you on night one of all nights yeah, it's the fireflies that are out on this too. I think sure. Ed looks out and sees that, and like it was kind of lame at first because like oh, cell phones, and then it's kind of crossed over, and now it's become this thing that can be kind of powerful. You know, we saw it with River Cross a bunch last year, but yeah, he looks out and sees all the fireflies and just comments like said like oh fucking beautiful man, and like you're getting kind of a run through of like I said, there's no porch here. You got rear view mirror instead. There's no black, but. You're getting kind of these classics here. You get Better Man and Not For You. Wishlist has had a really good couple of years to the back, Inside Job. So yeah, this encore is very, very well done. This was kind of fun after the song, so Ed gives a shout-out to the extras, the touring members of the band, Boom and Josh, and he's going on. He's like about to say something really super nice about Josh, and he keeps going, and he's like, but he's not there, so fuck him. And it was just very, like, I wasn't even paying attention to Josh at that point. But when he said that, looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not talking to anybody. But then Josh comes back on stage and everybody gives a big round of applause. And he doesn't appreciate the spotlight. But next time he's here, I'm going to give it to him. And I'm going to have him feel the wrath of Chicago. So this is all waxing poetically about the hometown. Talking about how changes happen. But the amount of emotions are so deep, it's like a picture book. The times that we're here, when we were young, it was the lean years. You remember how difficult it was, but you remember all the joy and laughter. You're reminded that this is where you came from, small beginnings. And tonight you were going to walk in here and people would care about the music and be in here together. It's a dream that you couldn't even imagine. And you don't go into any other song but alive after that. Just a sign in this one and I usually say live is like the siren of it's almost the end of the night get ready you got one more left and that's it but this was like this is the cliffhanger Ooh, you got one more and now you got a lot to go for the next night so this one might be at its end but you got something real good and it's just you were spoiled with so many incredible moments 
and it felt real, real good to fist pump along with this crowd. And it kind of, yeah, usually being sad at the end of the song, kind of feeling like you're at the end of the journey. No, this was exhilarating. And Josh almost missed it. Josh almost missed it. But <laughs> how much does he even play on a live? Sometimes I guess he's picked up a guitar on it before. But yeah. I thought that this was one that he just takes out the camera for and just kind of takes some pictures. But No, yeah, I mean, they, it's a funny moment. I think he was down by the board there, but... Love Alive here, one of the most powerful Alives we've heard in the last couple of years, I thought, being in Chicago, of course, and another moment for Mike to just tear it down completely and get a little War Pigs in there, too. So, yeah, I loved it. War Pigs, or some could debate it might be Heaven and Hell. That's the Dio version. It sounds like War Pigs, but it's, it's a little bit different. It's like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, if, if you listen to it, it's similar enough, but... You know, the metalheads out there, and I'll speak to Mar because Mar talked to me about this and kind of showed me the ropes with it. But yeah, it's been done before. I will say that. Now, Ed says, okay, we got one more. This is a Chicago song, but not the band. And I seem to remember the Wrigley shows that we did way back when, where you were just like, cheap trick, two nights in a row, pass, don't like it. Don't like Cheap Trick. You know, it's it's one of your, like, arena rock, too flashy kind of bands. And I'm a little indifferent overall on Cheap Trick. I think I might have grown to appreciate them a little bit more, but not anywhere close to a band that I consider a favorite or anything like that. But for some reason, Surrender and not Rocket in the Free World or Baba or Going Into Ledbetter was just outstanding. It was, you know, the the idea that this being the last song and knowing that this is an instant classic show, no matter what direction they would go in here. If Rock and Hope closed, if Baba closed, it's the same thing. But for Surrender to close this just makes this show have its own identity. And that's what I think I really appreciated about this. That, and I guess... It really wasn't until like near the end of the song where Ed just goes off and he does the whole yeah. thing. Point goes around the horn. Mikey's yep. all right. Jeffy's all right. And the place just blows up. And that to me, I don't get super overly excited at things like that, like the the pop the crowd kind of moments. But that was so much fun. I, I really love that. That part, I'm with you. That part makes the song for me. That turns it from kind of an eh, okay. Chicago, I get it. Moment like, oh, that's super cool. Because, like, yeah, he gets super into it. And I remember watching this, and, again, you get kind of the goosebumps a little bit. Like, oh, this is a moment. Like, this is how you end a show in Chicago. Like, And then he ends it with, like, Chicago's all right. Chicago's all right. And, yeah, you're bringing everybody in at that moment. Like, I think the lights are up at this point. Oh, yeah. And everybody just on their feet, pumping their fists. Like, this is a unique way to end a Pearl Jam show. We haven't seen it very often, but it, it fit the moment. And that was it. When we got outside, it was raining. And we were obviously wanted to do the recap, but we tried to like wait it out for as long as possible because a bunch of people that we were supposed to meet up with never ended up meeting up. And then Adam had my credit card, so I had to go take care of that. And, you know, I just kind of gave the phone off to people to talk to you and do the reaction. So it was like a probably an hour reaction episode. I've never listened back to it, but just in the rain and kind of 
even in the rain just felt all exhilarating and everything yeah, like that. If you're on if you're on Patreon, you can go back and listen and kind of put yourself back in the moment. You sure can. I might do it. Why not? not? That is the end of this show. A big one from this year. And now we will dive into the top three moments of this. And to say that they are impossible is an understatement. I'm going to go number three. Oh, I have to put this at number three hurts. Uh, rear view mirror at number three. That should be one. I'm going to leave off some other moments that should be one. Light years should be one. Quick escape could be number one for me. Release could be number one. Uh, anything that made our list for the best of could be number one. But my number two, which also could be number one, is the speech about the apartment, grandma's apartment, and then going into throw your arms around me. That is number two, but really number one. And then number one, but really, you know, super number one, I guess, is Inside Job. Yeah, I mean, there's 14 that you could pick from. So I'll say my number three is Corduroy. My number two is Retrograde. And my number one is Rearview Mirror. Corduroy and Retrograde are all also number one for me. Just throwing mm-hmm. that out there. Mm-hmm. I think Just Breathe might be number 24. And then everything else is either number one or number two or number three. So yeah, <laughs> that's about yeah. it. That's yeah. about all you can say about that. But wow, what a show. What a show. So now we rate the whole thing. And uh, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to many people. But I just want to say this, because I remember when we did the reaction and you kind of said, like, put yourself on mute. I'm going to talk for a little bit. And you kind of had this whole, like, dialogue before talking about how, like, this is a once-in-a-blue-moon kind of show. Like, we don't, a show for the ages, we don't get this kind of thing. And you just kind of wax poetically about that. And then while you're talking about that, I'm thinking to myself, like, how am I feeling? How am I feeling about this show in that moment? And compared to other shows that I've been to and things like that. And I'm like the way and how elated I am and how much I want to talk about this right now. I put it up there with MSG 2010. That was the only one that I can think of. And MSG 2010 has been forever considered the greatest show that I will ever go to of any band. doesn't matter. Pearl jam, anybody. So to put it in that category five minutes after the show ends is serious, serious stuff. And obviously sometimes when you're in the moment, you could say some crazy things and maybe you take them back or maybe you don't when it comes down and you can kind of be level-headed at, at, at a point later in your life. But when I speak to you right now, I say to you with all confidence that I am doubling down on that. This, when all is said and done, could be my number two or number one favorite Pearl Jam song. And I, I, I probably give a little bit of the edge to the hometown with the garden because the place and you know everything that happened that night and being there with my brother, like that was all pretty important to me. But this is 1A, 2, doesn't matter. If it's that high on the list of shows that I've seen, which I've seen a damn lot of good ones. 
don't even have to waste a breath to say 10. I think we knew that was coming. That's not a surprise. I remember that episode and watching this and just being really worked up about it and being very impressed that they, I think the main gist of that speech was like, not many bands can pull a show like this out 33 years into their career. And I still believe that. Now, going back, this is not a perfect show. Just Breathe, obviously, we talked about. Makes no sense. There's problems with Faithful. Talked about Comatose. Like, there's a lot of things here that when you go back on and you listen with more of a critical ear and you've, you've got the bootleg and you can go sit down and listen, like, okay, maybe that's not going to go back to that and it doesn't hold up to your original exuberance. But that said, I mean... What are we doing here? Yeah, this is a ten. I mean, you I get the say, like you get so many speeches. You get release of low light at the beginning. You get the retrograde. You know, this part's about you. That's early on, it's amazing. The speech about the bear. Ed's speech about his aunt. Light years. Rearview mirror for Franz. Like that's one of the biggest moments of the year. Like that by itself would put this up a few spots. And then you get all the stuff in the encore that we talked about. Like this is a perfect encore. Nearly, I, I wouldn't change a damn thing about it. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I said on our Discord immediately, instant classic, and I stand by that. It's really tough to, when you're listening to this on bootleg and to any show, to be like, there aren't imperfections. Because there are going to be imperfections on every show, like Miss a Note, and especially nowadays where it's like, okay, Ed's not going to hit every single song the way that he did back in his prime. It's impossible to expect that. But at the end of the day, like the little imperfections are so minuscule next to the big, powerful stuff that you spend 10 minutes talking about that we just did. So, yeah, little potatoes right there. But now it's interesting because you always talk about night one is the tune up and the warm up and night two is really that's the one you want to be at. And that's what we're going to do next week. And I don't know, it's got like, it's one of those few shows back to backs that I've been to where I think night one was the easy, easy winner of this. I like night two, but I think there are some things that just do not compete with what we just talked about. So we'll get to that next week. And I hope that is exciting for you guys because that'll be our last legit episode for this year. Oh, Well, guess what we have after that episode the next week? We have the Hall of Fame episode, which, of course, getting two perfect 10 scores, this episode is going to the Hall of Fame. Indy, where does this belong? It belongs in a museum. It belongs in a museum. So everything we talked about led to that, and we will talk about it again in two weeks when that episode and all end of the year thing all comes to a close. But in the meantime, if you are listening to this and it's your first time listening to the Live on Four Lights podcast, then welcome. I'm glad you're listening, and hopefully this draws you in for next week and maybe some episodes in the future, maybe some episodes back in the past. We got a whole massive catalog to go back on. If you want to do that, that is your freedom to choose to do so. But 
please make sure if you want those episodes that you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. And obviously the two big ones are Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever other platforms that wiggle around your listening ear that you want to subscribe to. You are more than free to do that. But those two are the big ones, and also on those two, you are able to give the show a little five-star rating, if you so choose, if you think we deserve it. I think that we do the research and we deserve the episodes, so hopefully your memories have been saved and your stories have been told where it deserves the five stars and thrown on out there, and that lets the public know what you guys think of the episode, and also you can leave a little comment on what you think about the episode and that's on apple podcast so if you leave a comment then all you're doing is you're telling the next person that is going to listen to this show what they can get and they can hear me talk there off the whole entire time but it ain't gonna matter because of course i'm naturally gonna love this show doing the work on this for five years plus now it's it's kind of inevitable you're not gonna see me say a bad thing but for you guys to say it is more meaningful than anything that we could ever ever tell anybody so that's all i need to say here so with that being said we will see you next week hey want to do another chicago show yeah, sure, why not? Do night two. This may be the end, we're here, but not for much longer, and although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. So, John is going to be talking from the future at this point, because we are ending the episode with a big storm knocking his power out. So, John from the future, what are your last words to say before we part? Howyer's alright, Randy's alright. John's all right. Oh, mommy's all right. Daddy's all right. I just seem a little weird. Surrender. Surrender. But don't give yourself away. Daddy's all right. I just seem a little weird. Surrender. Love. Thanks for everything. Always.